Good morning, City Gate. How are we doing this morning? One of us is glad to be here. <laughs> you know, I was really, you know, kind of anxious about today. I didn't know with the um, spike in the positive test um, what, what service would be like today, whether it in first service or second service. But I am so thankful uh, for all of you that have come, and I am so thankful for all of you that are tuning in online, because it is about this moment where the people of God come together and we're able to confront some of the anxiousness of our day. You know, we're in some, some rough waters right now as a world. You know, you've got a pandemic. You've got some stuff going on with, um, with violence and, and whether it be uh, the police uh, situation or whether it's protest. You know, a lot of things. And a lot of times people say, Pastor, I don't, I don't understand the protest. Well, it's about being heard for one thing. And I want to ask you, what are you hearing? And the second thing is, is, you know, protest sounds negative, doesn't it? Well, I participated in something yesterday that was very positive. It's called a pray test. And that's where the people of God come together and we united at Ride Nature and we walk through downtown praying. And then we, we prayed all the way to the police station and we prayed over different things and we saw different people pray. And you know what? It started to become effective because we went there, the police come out, we got to pray for them. And people felt like they were being heard. And you say, well, pastor, you know, it's one thing for people to say, I don't agree with this. Or I don't agree with that. But everybody can agree to pray. And the next time we are going to have another pray test is at the end of July. I think it's July 25th or 26th, something like that. And I'm inviting our church to be a part of that. I'd like to see us. We're all, it's not a city gate thing. It's a body of Christ thing. So there's multiple churches. Uh, we meet over here at one of the local coffee shops and we walk through downtown. We worship, we pray. And I want you to be a part of that because in this message today, I'm going to talk to you about the prayer that I had to pray. And I'm going to talk to you about a prayer that I felt was one of the most beautiful prayers I'd ever heard. And we get to put it in the context of our series called Closer. And Closer was about people in Scripture that needed desperately to get close to Jesus. They had some desperate situations. We had a leper that needed to uh, be touched by Jesus. We had a woman with an issue of blood that Jesus allowed to touch him. Then we last week were talking, Pastor Matt preached in between my first and third message, and he talked about uh, the body of Christ responding, and he really hit home about the Beatitudes and, and blessed are the peacemakers, and I was very encouraged about that. And then week three was Father's Day, and I talked about a father that was desperate and how he had risked everything. Um, and then he had to see, he got the news that his daughter had passed. And Jesus said, if you're still willing to go to the house, I'm still willing to go to the house. And we saw a miracle take place. And that's where I wanted to stop for a moment before I just jump into preaching. The pandemic has caused us to be wiser when we gather. Some people have to wear masks. 
some do not. It's touchless, and that means that what we've set aside a lot of the times for the end of the service for us to be able to lay hands on people and pray is not quite as available as it once was. Not that we don't want to pray with people, but we want to be wise. And putting hands on people right now in our current climate is not probably the wisest thing to do. But that does not mean that God doesn't want to do a miracle. And so I got a word this week and I want to obey that word to make room for the miracles. So we don't have that team that comes up that diligently prays for us on every Sunday. But I want to stop right here when I pray to go into this message. I'm going to pray for God to anoint me to speak uh, His Word with truth and accuracy. But I'm going to pray that whatever miracle is needed, we're going to make room and space. If you need a miracle in your body, we're going to believe God can heal you right now. If you need, if your heart is broken or you're emotionally in a bad place, we want you to know that God can bring peace right now. If your relationships are struggling, and they seem fractured, if you're walking through a moment of fear or anxiety where maybe your job has, has furloughed you, I want you to know that God can bring that peace right now. So let's pray and let's make room for that miracle. Father, right now I thank you that yes, I want you to anoint me with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak your word with effectiveness. I wanna, I wanna speak with truth, God. I want hearts to hear the authority of your word. But God, I also want to make room for you to do a miracle right now. If there's somebody sick, we just say that they're healed in Jesus' name. We're going to believe that right now in this atmosphere of worship and, and the word going out, that healing could take place right now where, Father, traditionally we are obedient to Scripture of laying hands on the sick. But, Father, we call for your hand to touch them today because you can't catch COVID-19. So we just say you touch them right now where they are. If they're broken in their heart or in their emotions, Father, we ask you to bring wholeness right now. And that, Father, that the rest of this service could be celebratory that they could feel your touch. And Father, if there's a door that is closed and people have anxiousness about careers and future, Father, right now become our future. You have the world in the palm of your hand and I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Before we get done, some of you don't know this guy right here, but many of you do. Uh, he and his family were a part of our church for numbers of years. They moved to uh, North Carolina and uh, there was a lot of changes that happened in North Carolina. But Donovan and Jaron and Ethan are here. Pastor Donovan, I'm sorry. So will you make welcome one of the family members of CityGate? Donovan, you'll give me one more minute since I don't get to have you here. Just one more minute. Let me get this thing started with the background of music. Let me give you the setting. You've got a blind guy in the Bible. And if I'm going to ask a, a Bible trivia question, name one blind guy in the Bible, you would say? Bartimaeus. Exactly right. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to take our text today. And it's about this man named Bartimaeus. He's a blind guy. He lives in the city of Jericho. It's probably one of the last miracles. It's within seven to ten days of Jesus going to the cross. 
And I don't know if it's his last miracle, but it's one of his last miracles. And he probably has seen Bartimaeus in the city of Jericho multiple times. But this time's going to be different. And in this text, Jesus is going to ask some strange questions. And Bartimaeus is going to have to overcome some incredible challenges. And I'm going to ask you before we go into the Word today, what do you want to see You know, what do you want to see in your individual life? What do you want to see in your church? What do you want to see in the world? Because I believe God's going to give us the same opportunity that Bartimaeus has today. So would you allow me to read a few scriptures? I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way today. You'll look on the screen. I'm just going to read it out of the Bible. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. Father, again, I ask you, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to touch our minds and our hearts that we would see and hear through your word. Father, let us have ears to hear what others are crying out. Father, let us have hearts full of compassion and undeniable love. Father, allow us to see inside of ourselves today and see the hope Father, I don't believe that the world is going to be cured through a ballot box. I think the world's going to be cured with the gospel and the people of God living out the truth of of your word. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This is one of those few times in the Bible where... The Bible gives you details that aren't necessarily something that is normal. You've got a person that is sitting there that has been blind for a while. Probably not born blind. And we can, uh, you know, we can come to that conclusion because by the time you get to the end, he's saying, I want to recover my sight. He's not saying, I want to see for the first time. So probably he had sight at one time. And the Bible gives us his name. His name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And there's an important aspect that we have to look at through Scripture here is why would God, through the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, connect this man with his father and his current condition? He is not blind Bartimaeus, the beggar of Jericho, He is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now, in this passage, the theologians are divided about 50-50. So I'm going to preach it both ways. Because there is truth 
on both sides of the equation when it comes to the possible connections between Bartimaeus and his father. See, when it says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, and it's talking about his present condition of being blind, that his disability has debilitated him to a place where he has become a beggar. And now he is dependent upon the compassion and mercy of others. And because we know that when a person is blind, their other senses heighten. And so I want you to understand this correctly, and I'm going to get back to his father. He hears something going on that is different than the normal situations. Now, I made a little joke in first service. I'm going to make the same one. Hopefully it's as funny in round two as it was in round one. It would be like Bartimaeus is sitting in a city that has a subway... Now, in Florida, we have no subways because there's no underground. If you're underground, you would be in a submarine, not a subway. Thank you for the laugh. (laughs) But think of us in a larger city, one that has public transportation. It's not that the city is absence of noise because every city is built with the, the natural noise that goes on. But his keen sense of hearing was not just hearing people get off the subway. It was hearing something continue. And he, and he offers himself, he says, what is going on? And somebody tells him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now let's get back to Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Half the theologians believe that he mentions in Scripture, Mark records in Scripture, the son of Timaeus because Timaeus possibly could have been an influential man of wealth. He had power, prestige, title. But I want you to understand, sometimes you're going to go through stuff and sometimes you're going to be connected to stuff that is not, uh, you're not um, exempt from because you have a little something. Because it didn't matter how rich his dad was, he was still blind. That means that he couldn't pay enough money to give it to a doctor to make him see again. That sometimes we think that if we get certain things, our life would be better. And if you wrap your identity up in what you have or what you do, if you ever lose what you have or lose the ability to do what you do, you've lost your identity. Now, Half the theologians believe that his son, that his father was a man of influence and even his influence couldn't prevent him from becoming blind. I I don't necessarily agree with that. You say, well, why, pastor? Because one, if he was a man of wealth, he wouldn't be on the street begging. He would have been taking care of him at home. It wouldn't have prevented him from being blind, but he had probably been taken care of by somebody paid to take care of him. So the other option, according to the theologians, is that he was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, that Timaeus was another blind man that probably had his sight and genetically passed over the disease uh, to his son that caused his sight to deteriorate to a place where he is now debilitated to a position of a beggar. And you say, well, pastor, what does that mean? And what do you mean you're going to preach about that for a moment? Because I want you to know that sometimes that your blind spots are not just detrimental to you. That if you don't find out where your blind spots are, you can can pass them on to the people coming behind you. Now that's preaching right there. 
because we like it and we are willing to accept it when it only affects me. But your life affects other people. Your life is an example before your children and your children's children. And, and some of those things, I, I look at my sons and sometimes I look and see that they have inherited some of the, the qualities that Michelle has helped perfect with the Holy Spirit and I become more refined, but they are still in the raw form. And I say, they got that from their mama. Uh, yeah, no, they got that straight from their dad. And you say, Pastor, what is that so, why is that so important? Because I saw one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard yesterday. We're praying through the city. We're worshiping. I mean, we got our tunes going. We're kind of unified. We're praying. We're worshiping. We're going down First Street. We're praying for businesses. We're praying for all kinds of stuff. We go all the way to the police station. And like I said, we got to pray for some of the police officers and we were so thankful for that. But then this man, I mean, he was a man's man. You know, he was, he was pretty good size, had a real man's beard. I'm really thinking about growing my real man beard back. But he didn't have this trim thing. It was a beard beard. And he got up there to pray. He was assigned one of the 20 prayers. And he walked to the center where people could hear him. And his prayer went something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, my great-great-grandfather passed something to my grandfather that my grandfather passed to my father that my father Pass to me. Forgive us. I, I cried to think that this man was acknowledging that his family had a history of having sin in their lives over and over and over again. And he starts to raise his voice to heaven to say, Father, forgive my grandfather and forgive my father. Or, 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 forgive my father and forgive me because the gospel has transformed us and, and has allowed us to be different than what we come from. And all of a sudden, the beauty of the power of transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ says that whatever you did, maybe your story is different and what you passed on may have had a different title, but you know that it is statistically true that, that alcoholics produce a lot of times in their children the aptitude to be an alcoholic. It doesn't mean in every case, it means that there's an aptitude that can be passed from generation to generation. And we prayed about generational things coming to an end and for our future to look brighter than our past. And I want you to see for just a moment, here is this man that got in a position probably likely because it was passed on from his father. And here he stands now blind. Now, I told you he asked a strange question to a passerby. Who, what is this all about? I hear noise. I can't explain. It's different today in Jericho. They said, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Now, here's one of the cool things about this text. He never calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. See, because a lot of times our relationship with Jesus is based upon what somebody else told us about him. 
Instead of us knowing that the same Jesus that is in the pages of this Bible is available for you in your living room, in your house, in your next Tuesday, in your future, in your next week, in the moment that you have the crisis, the same Jesus this book talks about can be in your life. And all of a sudden, he starts to cry out, but he doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth. He cries out, Jesus, thou son of David. Oh, wait a minute. Why? He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. See, Jesus of Nazareth was a man. But he didn't need Jesus of Nazareth, the man, because he knew his present condition was beyond what a man could do. But if Jesus of Nazareth, the man, was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, then the Messiah would hear his cry because the Messiah was prophesied to hear the cry of the poor. Psalms 34 and 6 says, The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. In Malachi 4 and verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wing. So he starts to cry out, Jesus, thou Son of David. He is literally screaming, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Jesus, I don't know what they think you are, but I believe by faith you're the one that will hear the cry of the poor. I know I'm way over here and you're way over there, but the Messiah has ears to hear the cry of the poor. I find myself in a position of being blind, a beggar beyond my control. I cry out, Jesus, thou son of David. You're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the son of God. You have healing in your, uh, in your wings. I need the Jesus that is connected to the father. And you know what happens? Good people have good intentions that out of their mouth comes stupid statements. Man, I'm going to say that again. That was pretty good right there. I mean, good people with good intentions say stupid things. And they tell him, shut up, old beggar. Stay blind. No, they didn't say that out loud. They were trying to have good intentions to don't bother the rabbi with your stuff. See, nobody would have said, hey, stay blind, blind man. Accept your position. Accept your spot. Accept your fate in life. Accept what you have and just make the best of it. No, nobody would have said that out loud. But through good intentions of trying to keep the rabbi moving forward with the crowd, they perceived that his importance was more than his need. And they told him to be quiet. I don't want to not hear the cries of the world. I do not want to be insulated in safety. I want to be the legislation of the gospel. I want to hear the poor cry out to say, he has heard you and so have I. I want to hear the wounded say, my heart is broken and I'm about to give up. And for the ears of the righteous to say, we have heard your cry and there is hope for you in the power of the gospel. I want to hear the wounded that are about to give up on, on relationships to say, wait a minute minute. I hear your cry and I stand with you with the power of, of the righteousness of the gospel. I don't want to not hear. 
I don't want to not see. Can I rant for just a moment? Because most of us don't have masks on. And, and I, I don't wear masks either. But you know what? This person I had a conversation with, they, they, they don't go to our church, so I'm, I'm safe. You know. They told me, they said, when we were thinking about reopening, they said, Pastor, if I had to wear a mask, I ain't going. And I was gracious, you know, because that, that's what Christian people are supposed to do. But I got a little irritated, to be quite honest with you. And you want me to give you a little clip of what the conversation was in my head? It went something like this. Oh, I didn't know the gospel was about you. No, I, I didn't know it was just about your comfort because this book says that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. So if me putting on a mask would help my neighbor come to church, then I'll be uncomfortable for a moment for you. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? That's my rant. I just, I, that, you know, I don't want to take away your freedoms or your rights. You know, and I'm not telling you everybody's got to wear a mask. I'm just saying, doesn't that kind of stuff grind on you a little bit? When it comes to that moment, they said, ah, oh, don't bother the master. You're the blind guy. And what inadvertently they were saying is, stay blind. Be still. I love this guy in scripture. But what has he got to lose? They can't make him more blind. And they can't make him more poor. He's a beggar. What are they going to do to him? Throw him in jail? Blessing. I didn't even know where I was going to eat today, but now I've got something to eat, you know. So what did he have to lose? The Bible says this, and he cried out all the more. Here's a good place to preach. Get excited. I can't have you slap your neighbor today, but get ready to say something to him. Because if you're ever going to do anything great in this life, it is going to be right after you decide that you don't care what the naysayers say. And when they tell you you can't, you can say, well, wait a minute. He says I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes I catch myself listening more to the people telling me what I can't do to the one voice that I should hear saying, I can do all things. I've, I've, I've created you to do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Oh, man. He just keeps yelling, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. I believe you're the Messiah. And if you're the Messiah, you're going to hear the cry of the poor. Jesus, son of David. Be quiet, blind man. Jesus, son of David. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Because if I listen to you, I'm going to be blind tomorrow. But if he's who he says he is, I'm going to reach out and grab him with my faith. And the Bible says he stopped. And said, call for him. Oh, wait a minute. Blind man was over here a long way from Jesus, but now he stopped and said, get the guy calling the Messiah. He, did, he had passed him a hundred times before, probably. He had seen him, I know, almost positively before, and he was blind even after an encounter with Jesus. But when faith starts to cry out that I'm so desperate, I've got to get close to you, when he stops, he calls for you. The same Jesus that called for Bartimaeus is here to call for you. What do you need to get close to get? Huh. And the Bible says this. Now this dude is blind. He's got a coat on that identifies him as handicapped. 
his coat tells the, uh, the kind of the police that he's allowed to beg. The Bible says he leapt up. He didn't just make his way. It said he jumped up. I'm like, well, he called. The master called me. I have a keen sense of hearing. I heard him tell that person, go get him, bring him to me. I'm going to get close to him. And his faith was so powerful that he took off the jacket that identified him as a blind beggar and said, I'm not going to need this anymore. I'm going to leave this right here. And I'm just going to move to where he is because if I get to where he is, I won't need that anymore. Dave, get ready to play me something. Because this is where it gets good. You ever notice that Jesus will ask what seemingly is incredibly... I don't... I got to be careful because I'm talking about Jesus. It's not that they are dumb questions. It's like, it's obvious. I mean, the blind guy finally gets there. Dude can't see. Now, how does a blind man come to you? Just think about this. I, I, you know, I, I did something... I probably shouldn't have done last week. I jumped down and got close to you guys. And, you know, we're all supposed to social distance. But so I'm going to stay up on the stage. This is how a blind guy walks. Because he's looking for whatever's in front of him. So he's coming to Jesus like this. You know, he done threw his coat off. They didn't have the cane thing. He's like, he gets all the way up to Jesus. And he's like this. And Jesus goes, okay, what can I do for you? I thought this would make it obvious. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Isn't anybody else thought that before? <laughs> you know, this kind of gives it away. Now, it's not a dumb question. He wanted to know something. Beggars ask for money and food. Are you coming to me as a beggar? Are you coming to me with a man, with, as a man with a need that needs the Messiah? Because if you need money, I'll give it to you. If you need food, I'll give it to you. But it'll only take care of your today. It won't get you through your tomorrow. Because tomorrow you'll wake up just as blind as you are today. It'll bring you momentary comfort. But it won't bring you the solution you desire. But if, you, but if you don't ask for something temporary and you ask for something eternal, that's a possibility today. So many times he says, Lord, that you might restore my sight. That gives us understanding that he probably could see at one time. I want you to restore what I lost. Oh, wait a minute. Restore what you lost. Because he was asking him, what do you want to really see? Do you want to see your temporary needs met right now? Or do you want to see something that you can only see through faith? And let's just ask, let's just pretend for a moment. What time is it? It's 10, 12 o'clock. I, I got five more minutes. Let's pretend that Jesus is right here. And he says, city gate, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want to see? Well, immediately we would say, 
I want to see salvations. I want to see people get saved. People that were not saved get saved. That's wonderful. How many is going to vote for salvation? Say amen. amen. Yeah, Jesus is more than a savior, you know. Well, pastor, I want to, I want to see deliverances, people set free. I want to see those that are bound. I want the chains broken. I want them to experience freedom and life in Christ. How many of you want to see that? Say amen. Yeah, he's more than a deliverer too. Oh, well, pastor, I want to see people healed. I want to see people that are sick go out healthy. I want to see people that their, their relationships are broken. I want to see them healed to wholeness. How many of you want to see that? Say amen. And then most of us in our culture say, well, pastor, you're naming a lot of things. Let's just put it in one big basket and call it revival. How many of you want to see revival? Say amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he is the revival starter. Now it gets to my prayer. I was privileged yesterday to pray the 20th prayer, the last one. And my little card said, I wish I'd have brought my card. My little card said, pray for humble, humili uh, pray for humility, repentance, and revival. That was my, that was on my card. Doesn't it sound a lot like this scripture? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, my card and scripture had a recipe for revival. It started with the position of humility. And the only way that you can be humble is to pray to see yourself as God sees you. Because when you see his sovereignty and his holiness and you compare it to who you are, you find that you are frail in your humanity, right? And that humbles us to say, I, the world's problems, we're not going to solve the world's problems through the ballot box. Now, I don't normally kick the political can, but I'm going to kick it today just to let you know it doesn't matter who is going to get elected president in November. It will not solve the world's ills. But I do know what will. This book and the Jesus of this book, the power of the gospel. You say, Pastor, I'm not going to steal this from Pastor Matt because he come up with it, but I'm going to preach it because he hasn't preached it yet. So I'm going to preach it like God gave it to me. These are not social issues. They're gospel issues. Man, we got people getting killed. That's a gospel issue. We need people to replace hate with love. Amen. And, and let's just, while we're kicking a political can, let's just kick it all the way down the street. We got like... I'm going to exaggerate, like a billion babies getting killed every single month. The Bible, the gospel, it isn't that I don't like the people going for abortions. It's that I want to offer them a solution before they get to that spot. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Undeniable love. So, 
that was my political rant for the day. And so to be humble, we have to see our own sin. How many of you are going to request God to do that? We're ready to request. Let's send revival. We want people to get saved. But revival starts with you seeing your own sin. So we got to request. If, we're going, if he's going to ask us, what do we want to see? David Pleasant's going to say, first, God, for me to get in a humble position, I got to really see my own sin. Well, if I see my own sin, you know what that brings? Conviction. See, nobody ever, nobody interrupted me and said, Pastor, let's pray for us to see conviction. Because conviction is, un- can somebody say, man, conviction's uncomfortable? But you want me to, can I teach for just a moment about conviction? Conviction isn't for you to feel guilty. It's for you to be, for the God, the Holy Spirit, to identify the sin in your life that allows you to know that it didn't separate you from the love of God. God still loves you in spite of your sin, but He loves you so much to tell you there's a life that is above that, that He can deliver you from that, and you don't have to carry that weight around and pass it on to your children and their children and their children. Can somebody say amen? But we don't like, we don't like discomfort. So God says, David, you're a sinful man. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm pastor. Yeah, but there's stuff in your heart you got to, you got to acknowledge. Oh, it really is there because you're always right and I'm never right. So I'm going to say you're right in this case and it really is there. And it brings me and it mourns my heart that I have grieved you because I'm living below the standard that you've given me as your son. Your love is not different, but the standard in which I'm, I'm understanding your blessing is less than what you desire. So if I acknowledge this commitment of seeing my sin, responding to conviction, it brings me to repentance. Repentance does not mean you are sorry. It means that you've had something identified to you that you're going to turn your back on. Boy, that could preach. David, you got messed up stuff going on in your mind and in your heart and and I'm bringing it to your attention. And so I love you in spite of it, but there's something that can be liberating and freeing if you do what you're supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. No, David, you've told me you're sorry a thousand times. Turn away, turn your back on it. Turn your back on it and just start walking in the other direction. Sometimes we're afraid to walk in the other direction because we've become accustomed to this being normal. And now, God, I don't know how to do this other thing. He's with you. You ain't doing this on your own. Just turn away from it and start walking. And it's like you walking to him. Because if we become humble, if we acknowledge our own sin and if we repent, If we do that, he is bound by his word to do his part. If we stand as a church in a moment and say, God, identify my own sin. If there's somebody, I wish I knew who was here that wasn't really saved because I'd love to get in their mind. They may be right now saying, this is the first guy I've ever heard that said Christians are not perfect, that they have sin in their life and that God loves them anyway, but God wants to deal with the sin. So yes, you're right. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I got stuff going on. Don't you? Let's, let's do the test. Anybody here perfect? That means none of us are Jesus. That means we're all truthful. How many of you got some stuff that need God to to kind of work on? Amen. 
So here we are. He says, if we do our part, this is what he will do. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does the world need healing? Stand to your feet. You say, Pastor, who's your candidate? Jesus. He's the only one I can trust. <laughs> so here we are, Pastor. Will you close your eyes for a moment? I know you got something to sing, but just give it a second. Now, instead of hearing my voice or David's voice sing, hear the voice of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? He said that you might restore my sight, Master. And the Bible says, Jesus said this, your faith hath made you well and immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. What does God want to do immediately right here in your life with the moment that you come to the place where you say, God, let's pray a prayer like this. Father, I can't pray for them, but I can be an example to them come right now and what I want you to do is send revival to the earth and to the church and for that to become possible anoint my eyes to see my own sin anoint my eyes to see what I might possibly pass to my children's children's children the blind spot that I can't really see without the Holy Spirit bringing me to the awareness of the conviction of what it is. And Father, I'm not just wanting to feel guilty I'm, and, and I'm not just wanting to say I'm sorry because I feel guilty. Conviction is not for me to be guilt-ridden and it's not for me to always be begging for your love by saying I'm sorry. No, conviction is really brought into my life so I might be able to turn away and have the strength to turn my back on that thing that is always keeping me bound and walk in a different direction. So as I walk, as I, as I right now, I'll commit to you that if you show me my sin, I'll repent. I'll turn away from it. Because I believe if I turn away from it, I'm turning to you. And as I walk away from whatever it is that binds me, I'm walking more and more into your freedom. And that brings revival to our earth. That brings revival to our city. That brings revival to our church. That brings the salvations. That brings the healings. That brings the deliverance. That makes us heal wounds that are, are years and years in the making. That helps us hear the cry of the, of the oppressed or the desperate or the poor. The Bible says you hear the cry of the, of the poor. Father, let us hear what you hear. Let us feel what you feel because that's revival. And revival makes us the action of the Holy Spirit that allows us to go minister to the needs that are bigger than we are because we've got a God that's big enough to cure it all. 
bring us hope. The enemy's trying to convince us right now that this is the new normal and this is the chaos that we will always have to live in. No, I speak the peace of truth that says that the power of the gospel will prevail. Will you pray with me to see your own sin? To be humbled, to repent, to bring revival. Lord, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Will you give me 30 seconds? Because I want to leave, leave here in, in an attitude of worship. You say, Pastor, what just happened? It felt, it felt awkward, but it felt good. I saw some things. He let me see some things inside of me. Just think of it this way. You come to him like this. And he said, what do you want? And you said, I want to have revival. And he said, your faith has made you well. Go your way. And immediately, you now have become the agents of revival. So look at your neighbor and say, revival's not coming. Revival is already here. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise offering.